Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. And our December sermon series is called, What Kind of King? Uh, and we are really looking at Jesus when Jesus came to this earth. He came in a way that absolutely no one expected. And so all of the things that Jesus did completely go against what our world says a king should be about. Uh, it's interesting, some of you may be familiar with this, but there's an old, 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 old book by this author named Machiavelli. And it is, it's really looked at uh, by leadership as, as like, you know, it's called The Prince, and it's, it's about what a, what a prince or what a leader should be. And it goes through, and, and if you read the book, if you've ever read the book, uh, I studied it in college, but if you have read the book, some of the stuff that it talks about there isn't great. Uh, and, and so, you know, when we like to gloss over and say, oh, well, leadership does this and this and this and all that stuff, he's pretty brutally honest about some of the stuff. But when you compare Machiavelli's idea of a prince to Jesus's idea of a prince, they are polar opposites. And at every point and turn, Jesus contradicts what a worldly prince should be, what a worldly leader should be. Now, some of you know this about me. Uh, I tend to get on my soapbox on this issue quite a bit, but I have a big issue with leadership culture. I don't like it. And the reason I don't like it, and I know that might rub some of you all the wrong way because I know it's a very popular thing, John Maxwell and Craig Rochelle and all these guys, you know, they've got their big leadership stuff. I don't like it. And it's because of this because when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at even, even this Christmas, how Jesus came to this earth, it completely contradicts what we learn with leadership culture. And we've got to be careful because a lot of times as men, the trap that we fall into from the beginning of time is we try to make God in our image. And so the problem that we have, and listen, I've got to be careful on this too, okay? Preface, I don't like leadership culture, right? And so I can make God into my own image where I try to fit God too much into this buck leadership culture, walk in this free range, you know, kind of thing. So we can't do that either. But what I see in the church today is a lot of push for Jesus to be this alpha male leader. Oh, look at Jesus flexing. And so we turn to him kicking tables over in the temples and, you know, all these because these are where Jesus flexes and that's what kind of leader we want. That was one time, one time in Jesus's entire life. And we put it up on a pedestal like this is who he was. But the fact of the matter is Jesus came to this earth and Christmas shows it. Jesus came to this earth in a way that no one recognized. Y'all, no one, right? When you look at the people, the, the Jews, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and all of this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't think we give enough credence to the Jewishness of Jesus sometimes as Gentile believers, as Christians. 
But, but you've got to understand, these Pharisees and scribes, they spent their entire lives studying and waiting for the Messiah. They knew everything about who this Messiah was going to be. And when Jesus came, every single one of them missed it. That's not because Jesus didn't go along with what the Messiah was supposed to be, but it's because he fulfilled the Messiah in such a way that it confused all of them. They were all looking for this alpha male, this king, this, you know, look at me, I'm David with my sword and I'm going to chop off Goliath's head. Like, that's what they were looking for. But that's not how Jesus came. And so what kind of king lays down his throne, right? It's like that song that we sang. All of those things, Jesus came and completely flipped the script. And so we start today, we're actually going to start at the end of Jesus's life and kind of walk our way backwards. And we're going to look at all of the ways that Jesus contradicts what a worldly king is supposed to be. And so we start here in Genesis 15, in which we all say, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't born yet, right? And those of you who know me, you know this passage. Those of you who I married, you know this passage because I love this passage. Now look, I know I say that every time I preach, right? I love this passage, but I really do love this passage. If you go back in the life of Jeremy Metzger, there is a moment when I heard this passage explained for the first time. And it's like, it's like you know, when Jesus comes, we go from B.C. to A.D., Right? When Jeremy is walking with Jesus, and even before I was walking with Jesus, I hit this passage, and it's like A.D. afterwards. Completely life-changed, because I had never understood this passage. This is why I owe a debt of gratitude forever to Pastor Timothy Keller, because he is the one that I first heard explain this passage. And it changed my life. It changed absolutely everything about the way that I walk with Jesus and the way that I walk with others. It should change it probably a little deeper, and hopefully after today it does, because I still screw up. But it, it, this is life-changing. So for those of you who have heard me teach on this before, I apologize, you're going to hear it again. Hopefully you're like me, and no matter how many times you hear this, it is always just as powerful. For those of you who have not, buckle up, because I promise you this is life-changing if we let it. So, I know this isn't traditionally a Christmas passage, but if we dig in here, we can see so much of what this sermon series teaches us. And the first thing that it shows us is how Jesus Christ came to the world, flips the script, and willingly trades his royal crown for a crown of thorns. Jesus came to this earth in a way that completely confounded all of the greatest experts. Not a single one saw this coming. And even bigger, Jesus Christ lived his life in a way that still confounds the greatest religious experts, even today. And if we look back at the reason for this, it's because of a theme that we continually hit week in and week out. As long as we come to Jesus trying to understand him man's way, he will always perplex us. 
He will always go right over our heads. We have to come to Jesus seeking to understand how he does things God's way. Man's way will never get us there. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 19, Paul actually says this. He says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. We have a world filled with people who think they know best, don't we? Has anybody ever been on Twitter? Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. We've got people all over the place on, on these social media platforms who know better than all of the experts who have been studying these fields their entire lives, right? Right? But long before Twitter existed, man has thought that he knows more than God, that he can do things better than God. And ours, as our society becomes more enlightened, this becomes a bigger and bigger problem because we assume, because we know things, that we know more than God, that we can do things better than God. Funny, this is what our entire last sermon series was about, right? Isn't it interesting how all these things fit together? But we assume that we know better than God. But if we can acknowledge that his ways are higher than ours, that his thoughts are higher than ours, that his plans are better than ours, then we'll start to understand how truly remarkable this Savior of ours really is. And his ways will start to change us from the inside out. So every week of this sermon series, we're going to look at an aspect of Jesus that confuses the world, but that should be a breath of fresh air to us following him. Has anybody ever thought that when you read through the Gospels? You read something and Jesus hits with something that is just so counter anything this world teaches that it's just like, oh my gosh, that is a breath of fresh air. Because it's just completely different. And if we are ready to do this his way, to live life his way, then like Paul said, like we've said, stop trying to understand him the world's way, then we can move forward. Now, I think this is one of the major reasons why our Western church is in decline. If you read any of those church studies, they show you church attendance, church membership, church whatever is in decline. Fewer and fewer people go to church. And I do not believe that that is the world's problem. I think there's a lot of churches that rail on the world. We're just such a lost society. Our, our society, so that's not shame on the world, y'all. The world's been the world from the beginning, right? Darkness doesn't know it's darkness, right? You can't yell at somebody for walking in darkness when they don't know that they're in darkness. That's on the church, y'all. And part of the reason the church has lost its effectiveness is because we assume we know how to do God's business better than God knows how to do his business. We assume that if we walk in, now I'm, I'm, I've told you I'm coming for you, we, if we walk in leadership culture, if we raise up leaders, you know, we're going to get, but is that what Jesus said? 
Did Jesus say to raise up leaders? Is that in the Bible? When a leader gets better, everyone gets better, right? Craig Rochelle, 316. It's not in here, right? See, I think, I'm crazy, y'all. If you didn't get that by now, you wouldn't be here, right? I, I think that if we all followed Jesus better, I think the church would grow. I think if we were better followers, I think that the church would grow. I think that's what the Western church needs. Us following Jesus. But to do that, we've got to do it God's way, right? We've got to throw out man's way of doing things, and we've got to be all about the Father's business, all about listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, and doing it His way. So, let's do things God's way. Amen? That's your sermon. We're done. I'm just kidding. And let's start today by looking at how Jesus chose a crown of thorns over a king's crown. And we're going to do that by looking at this strange passage from Genesis 15, in which Jesus isn't even mentioned, or is he? And thus is the secret of Genesis 15, finding Jesus in the midst of this story. And we find him by looking at these magical three things. Man's covenant, God's covenant, and then God's answer to covenant. Those are our three main points today. So first, we look at man's covenant. And I believe that this is the key to unlocking what's really going on here in Genesis 15. This is the part that most of us miss. Now, how many of you are like me when you read a passage, especially when it's in the Old Testament, and you don't understand what's going on, you say, oh, Old Testament stuff, and you just keep reading, right? That's how we generally read these Old Testament things. Stuff happens, it's confusing, it's old, we don't do it anymore, cutting animals in half, like, ah, thank goodness we don't do that anymore. And so we just move on, go to the next thing. All right, Bible in the year plan's rolling on, I'm rolling on. And so we keep going. But if we stop to truly understand what's going on here, this is truly remarkable. We miss what God is doing in this story that Lisa read to us. But if you notice, Abraham does not miss what God is doing here. So a little backstory: God has called Abraham out of where he is living. Abraham's faith is such an incredible faith. God continually tells Abraham, Abraham, go do this, and Abraham goes. Abraham, go do this, and Abraham goes. Abraham, go do this, and Abraham goes. Never a question, never a doubt. Abraham just goes. So one of the promises that God has given to Abraham is that you will have tons of descendants. Your, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And Abraham loves this promise, but the problem is he doesn't even have one son yet. And so he's starting to get to a point, now Abraham's like 100 years old, he's starting to get to a point where it's kind of like, uh, God, <laughs> I know that you created me, but biologically speaking, <laughs> we're getting up there in fruitful years. What's going on here? And so Abraham asks God here in Genesis 15, twice he asks God, God, how do I know that you're going to follow through on this promise for me? How do I know? God, this is an awesome deal. This is, this, I, I love this promise. But God, how do I know that you're not going to get sick of me? 
how do I know that you're not going to get tired of me? I know, I know me. How do I know that you're not going to say, man, this Abraham guy's just not getting it. Let's move on to the next one. I picked the wrong one. Let's go on. How do I know? And so God starts something with Abraham here in Genesis 15 that sails right over our heads. And it sailed right over my head for many, many years. But look at what happens. It says this. This is Abraham speaking. He said, Oh, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Talking about this land. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now, God tells Abraham what to go get right? He doesn't tell him anything else, does he? Which means Abraham knew what was going on, right? We don't know what's going on here. Abraham knew what was happening because Abraham went and got the things that God asked for. Abraham cut them in half. Abraham created this aisle of dead carcasses. Gross, right? But that's what he did. God didn't give him instruction on any of that other thing, which means that Abraham knew what was going on. And actually, outside of the Bible, archaeology and historians, they have proven that this is a thing that used to happen back then. It was called a suzerain vassal covenant. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, but that's what it was called. And so what would happen is a king would come and conquer another nation. And as that nation was, became his subjects, was subjected to that king's authority, that king would make the leader of those people cut an animal in half, lay its carcass out as an aisle, and then walk between the pieces of that dead animal and say, I agree, king, to the terms of this covenant. So whatever it was, you know, you agree to serve me the rest of your days, whatever the covenant, whatever the agreement was, and the idea behind this is, in passing between those pieces, it's the same thing. Now look, yes, was it gross? Yeah, it probably smelled bad, a lot of blood and all that stuff. But, but it's the same thing as you and I signing, you know, that document that says, yeah, the bank still owns the house, but I'm going to live in it until I finish paying my debt to the bank, right? It's the same, it's, it's a contract. And it says, at any point, when you sign your contract with the bank, they say, at any point, if you break the terms of this deal, the house is ours, right? They say, these kings say, if at any point you break the terms of this deal, what you just did to those animals, I'm going to do to you. Yeesh. You'd have a lot fewer foreclosures if that was the case, huh? <laughs> right? But, but that was this covenant. That was man's covenant. This is confirmed in the final part of our scripture reading. We read all of this stuff, you know, it all sails right over their heads. We get to the part about cutting up animals, and so most of us just kind of tune it out as background noise at that point. And then we get to this Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And the majority of us should be thinking, wait, what? What covenant? What, what happened, right? But that is the covenant that he made. And this is how man does covenants. Still today, 
This is how we do covenants, right? It's contractual, which means that there are terms, and if you don't live up to those terms, what happens to the covenant? Broken, right? It's transactional. There's a transaction that takes place. There's a price to be paid. And if that price is not paid, what happens? Broken, right? And it's beneficial. It is always beneficial. This is a lesson I've been teaching to Elam a lot lately. Because, you know, when you're watching the football games, they always have those commercials when you're watching Fox like win Terry's money and you got to download this app and you know play this game and you can win all this money and dad's like or Elam's always like dad why don't you do that it's free money Elam there is nothing free in this world nothing and if we learn anything from capitalism it is this the person who holds the power always receives the greatest benefit right ladies and gentlemen Nobody will tell you this outright. That's what leadership culture teaches. You dig down into all of it, and you know, I know, no, not servant leaders. Servant leaders don't do that because servant leaders serve so that the people, ah, 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 ah. Servant leaders serve so that. Right? Come on, somebody. Because there is always a benefit for the person in power. The person in power always holds the cards. And, and, and look, for a long time, now, yes, for a relationship, especially in our world, to be symbiotic, right? It's got to be beneficial in some way for both people. But when the wheels come off the bus, you find out really quick who actually holds the power, Right? Because there is always someone who holds the keys to the car, who holds the power. And that person is the one who will always receive the greatest benefit. And if they don't, what happens to the covenant? Broken. Ladies and gentlemen, look at our world. Look at the church today. Look at Christians today. Look at Christian marriages today. Is that how we run our relationships? Are they transactional? Right? The church has started looking an awful lot like the world. And that is a big problem. And there is only one way to get that back. And that's by instead of walking in man's covenant, we walk in God's covenant. Because this, what we just described, this is how man rules. This is how man does things. Man's king, worldly kings, say, subjects, pass between the pieces. If you fail to live up to my contract, may you be torn to pieces like these animals. But that is not how God's king comes. God's covenant is his own way of doing things. Because look at what happens here with Abraham. This is in verses 12 and 17. It says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. 
It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. Now, we already covered this, but Abraham knew exactly what was going on here, right? God tells him, go get these animals. Abraham goes and gets the animals, cuts them in half, makes the aisle. Abraham knew what to do. And you, you cannot tell me that Abraham wasn't starting to walk to this aisle of carcasses, ready to walk between them, ready to say, all right, God, all right, because Abraham was a man of faith. God told Abraham, Abraham, leave your family, leave everything you know, and come follow me. And Abraham didn't think twice. He said, all right, let's go. Where are we going, God? God said, I'll tell you when I get there. And he went. Abraham, every step of the way, said, all right, God, let's do this. He was God's man through and through. So I have to believe that Abraham, knowing this covenant, was right up there, ready to walk, saying, all right, God, let's go. I can do this. Let's go. And God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. Sometimes I think I need that deep sleep. That'd be real nice. But sometimes I can get into such doing mode for God I needed him to put a deep sleep to come over me. Because in this moment, Abraham is put in a position where he can't do anything. He's sleeping, right? He's laying on the sidelines. How many of you are like that? That's like the greatest torture in the world for me, right? Jeremy, I don't want you to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's Satan talking. <laughs> that's not the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes that's the hardest position to be in, in a position where you can't do anything but sit and watch. But that's the exact position God puts Abraham in, where he is most beneficial to kingdom work, not to man's work, to kingdom work. Because then what happens next, we actually don't see in our English translations. Because when we read this in our English translations, we look at this and, and like, whoa, okay, so Abraham's dreaming, right? Because all of a sudden this smoking oven comes with legs, like what, Beauty and the Beast, is that what we're talking here? Like moving teapots and stuff like that? This flaming oven shows up and this flaming torch, and that's what passes between the pieces, right? And we miss this in English. But if we do our due diligence and dig into what the Hebrew actually says here, these words are very familiar in the Hebrew. In one of the most well-known areas of Scripture where we see these, these words pop up again, we may not recognize the reference here, but we do recognize the stories in Exodus 19.18. Exodus 19 is right before God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Whom, from whom does, does Moses receive the Ten Commandments? Pop quiz. From God, right? God himself. There's no intermediary. There's no, there's no, it's God. God comes down on Mount Sinai. And when God comes down on Mount Sinai, it tells us this. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. The exact same Hebrew words that we see here in Exodus 19 are the exact same Hebrew words that passed between the pieces. Do you see it? 
Do you see it? This is the most beautiful thing you will ever see in your life. Because in this covenant with Abraham, God completely flips the script. This is the most dramatic turn of events in the history of mankind. Nothing like this had ever been seen before. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Nothing like it has happened since. Nothing will ever happen like this again. Because God, the God of the universe, the all-powerful king, the ultimate conqueror who conquers all nations, he is the one who passes between the pieces. Not the subject that he has conquered, not the person who is lower than him, but God himself passes between the pieces. And what did it mean when a subject passed between the pieces? God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, how do you know that I'm going to fulfill my promise? Where the world says you pass between the pieces, and if you fail to live up to your end, you will be torn to pieces. I say, God says, if you fail to live up to your end of the agreement, may I be torn to pieces. Abraham, if you, if your descendants, ladies and gentlemen, that's you and me, right? If we fail to live up to this covenant, the God of the universe, the conquering king, took it upon himself to be torn to pieces like these animals. This is absolutely nothing like anything, any kind of leadership structure in this world has ever done before, has ever offered before, right? This isn't servant leadership, y'all. This is so far beyond servant leadership. In fact, when the world looks at how God does covenant, the world says, I've heard it said many times, well, that's, that's just, I'm, I'm going to be a doormat. If I, try, if I try to live like this with other people, that's just an invitation for people to walk all over me, right? That's what the world says. And guess what? You're not wrong. Are you? Sign me up for this deal. This is getting better and better, Pastor. You're not wrong. That is what the invitation is. But since when did we think that following Jesus was about prestige and honor in this world? Right? Because that's what leadership culture is all about. Power, prestige, honor. But Jesus flips the script. This is what God's king does. He passes between the pieces and says, I will sacrifice. Not mutually beneficial. Not beneficial for him at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Right? Quite the opposite. Not transactional. Not contractual. See, this, this Abrahamic covenant that God gives, it's, it's the safety net underneath all of the other covenants that he gives to us. There's actually the covenant that he gives to Noah that's the safety net a little bit under that. That's the one that says, I'm not going to destroy all of mankind. 
but, but Abraham covenant's right there because this says, no matter what, I will catch you. God says, no matter what, I will catch you. How do you know that God's promises will never fail you? Because this covenant stands. God put it on his shoulders and said, I will never break this covenant because it's all on me. Jeremy, you are sleeping on the sidelines. You have nothing to do with this. I will uphold all of this. God says, Abraham, you are mine. And how do you know that you are mine? Because I will pay the price to prove it. And what happens 2,000 years later? We see God's answer. The darkness fell on Abraham. Tells us terror and great darkness fell on him, to be exact. And God promises to be torn apart for our transgressions of his covenant. And it's interesting in the book of Mark, Mark 15, we see a strikingly similar scene play out 2,000 years later. Starting in verse 33, Mark tells us, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus, hanging from a cross, cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. On the cross, Jesus completely fulfilled God's promise to Abraham, to you and to me. Because Abraham and you and me failed to live up to our end of the covenant. The Son of the Most High God was torn to pieces. Do you see the gospel in Genesis 15? It is absolutely breathtaking. This is your Savior who was promised before the beginning of time. What kind of king would trade a royal crown for a crown of thorns? Ladies and gentlemen, you can look through every leadership book this world has to offer, and you will not find this kind of king. There is only one book that has it, and it's this one. God's king, Jesus Christ, is the only one who would make that trade. And he made that trade for you and for me. But here's the thing. This Christmas, Gospel House Church, there is a catch here, and we must see it. 
the gospel literally translates to good news, right? Were you guys aware of that if you weren't? I'm telling you a fact. I'm not asking a question. The gospel translates to good news. That was a rhetorical question. You were all supposed to shout yes. I'm just kidding. The gospel cannot just be good news for you. It cannot just be good news that you hold on to and keep to yourself. This Christmas gift cannot be hoarded and selfishly possessed. You must give it away. And how do you give the gospel away? Here's where we get into muddy waters. Yes, you share it. We talk about it, right? And I think this is a vital aspect of it. But there's an even bigger aspect that I think we've missed as a church. In order to give the gospel away, you must live this covenant. Don't just give it. Live it. You want something to tweet? You know, you want to go home and tweet, right? That's under 36 characters. What's, what's it supposed to be? What is it? It's under the character limit. You can go home and tweet it. There it is. Don't just give it, live it, right? But we have to live this covenant out. When, when Jan and I do marriage counseling with people, we talk about this, this covenant all the time because marriage is supposed to be a covenant. And if we do marriage God's way, it's supposed to be a covenant. And so we use this example all the time. But, you know, if, if I walk into the house and Jana hasn't done the dishes, God's covenant doesn't say, Jeremy gets a day off from laundry because Jana didn't do the dishes. That's not covenantal because that's keeping score. Where in God's covenant, when God himself passes between the pieces, where in God's covenant do you see scorekeeping? God doesn't say, well, I pass between the pieces on the cross. Jeremy's got a lot of catching up to do, right? But here's the thing, church. God does not call you to walk in covenant only in your marriage. And this is where I think we've missed it. There is a lot of covenant talk within marriage circles in the church. When you go to marriage conferences and marriage and you know, all marriage books and all this stuff, there's a lot of talk on covenant. But God has called you, Christian, to walk in covenant with every single person who's around you. Everyone. How do you give the gospel away? You live out this covenant. You guys, most, some of you know, I am very much not a fan of this quote because I have seen it abused. But Mother Teresa had this quote, who, and she said, Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I don't like that, because the majority of people I have heard quote that, they use that as an excuse to not talk about Jesus. It's because they're actually embarrassed. They don't know how to talk about Jesus with other people. They think it makes situations awkward, so they'd rather not talk about it. They'd rather just do it, and then eventually the person's going to ask you, why are you so happy all the time? And then you're going to say, oh, it's because of Jesus, and that's your, stop, that's dumb, don't do that, right? We've got to be ready to talk about Jesus all the time. All the time we have to be ready to talk about Jesus. And I, I love Tim Tebow actually had this quote. He probably didn't originate it, but he, he was talking about somebody asked him, you know, why he talks so much about Jesus. And he talked about it like, think of like you're in love with a girl. And, and like you just, you cannot stop talking to other people about her because you just love this girl so much. 
He said, that's how my relationship is with Jesus. I love Jesus so much, I just can't stop talking about it. And I think part of our problem as people when we evangelize, you know, if we're sitting there thinking about, oh, if I talk about Jesus, it's going to make things so awkward. You don't love him enough. Because if you really loved him, think about it. Like, I, I just, I heard there was a new song that came out this week. And so, uh, you know, I heard the new song and it, I loved it. It was a good song. So I went upstairs and I played it for my kids. What do you guys, what do you guys think of this song? Let them listen to it, right? When you love something, you share it, right? If you love Jesus enough. Now, here's the gospel, though, y'all. If you're sitting there feeling condemned, like, oh, I, I do struggle. I am, I am worried that, you know, people are going to be awkward or I'm going to be awkward around people and, you know, how people are going to take it. I don't love Jesus enough. What? Like, oh, uh. The answer is not to go home and sit in a corner and love Jesus more, right? That's not the gospel. Because the gospel does not say that, you know, I love Jesus and therefore God loves me, right? That's not what it says. What's the gospel say? The gospel says that I love because I am first loved, right? God moved first. So the answer is not to try to love him more. The answer is to reflect on Genesis 15. The answer is to ask the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes, to open up your heart to this incredible passage of Scripture where we see the gospel played out before Jesus Christ was born in a manger, thousands of years later. This was the plan from the beginning. God's plan from the very beginning was Jesus for you. And as you reflect on that, as you reflect on how much the God of the universe loves you, that he sees you, that he knows you, that he cares so deeply for you, that he has woven together a plan and a purpose for your life. As you see that, I promise you, you will love him more. You don't try to love him more. You reflect on how much he already loves you. And the gospel says that is how you conjure up more love for him. It's not about you. It's never been about you. But you know what's crazy? And this is what's crazy in all of this. As we go through this series, we'll hit it every single week. What is crazy is Jesus Christ gave up his royal crown and took the crown of thorns. But because he did that, you better believe he has been bestowed with another royal crown. He's been given that royal crown. And when our king comes back, he is not going to come as this meek and mild, passive savior. He will come back with a sword, riding on a white horse with a royal crown and a robe that is dipped in blood. You want a conquering king, there he is. But you can't start there right? Because the same is true for us. We cannot start with, and that's where a lot of evangelical Pentecostal, we want to jump straight to the conquering king, right? I'm going to be riding with Jesus, and I'm going to have my crown, and I'm going to have my little sword, and me and Jesus are fighting together. False. False. Because you didn't take the time to wear the crown of thorns first. Now look, yes, we don't carry the same cross that Jesus carried. 
but we are to carry a cross, every single one of us. If you are a disciple of Jesus, he has called you to pick up your cross and to follow him. Don't try to bypass the cross. Your Savior didn't bypass the cross, you can't either. But if you are willing to wear the crown of thorns, God will bestow on you a royal crown one day. You will get to share in Jesus' glory. That's what's incredible about this Savior. Is he didn't come and say, I'm going to get this glory and I'm going to keep it all to myself. He came and said, I'm going to get it, I'm going to win it, and I'm going to share it. And that is the exact same thing that we have to do. This is the gospel, y'all. We have to be about it. So, this Christmas, Gospel House Church, this is your challenge. And it is a big challenge. But I challenge you to live out this Genesis 15 covenant every day this Christmas season with every single person you come in contact with. Don't just give the gospel, but live the gospel. Can we do that this Christmas, church? And that is a trick question, because you can't. Right? I can't, but Jesus did, and will through the Holy Spirit in me. And so as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, every moment of every day, let the Holy Spirit have control, and he will live out this covenant through you. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointing to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.